through this uh, TV screen here, this computer screen. I'm glad to be here with you today. I just love to study the Bible, and I know you do too. And that's what we're going to do. We're just going to spend some time in this old, wonderful Word of God and and grow in our knowledge of the activities of St. Paul here in the book of Acts. And I'm just, uh, just, just want you to know that I appreciate you being with me today and listening to me. And, uh, I hope it all is well with you and that you go forward knowing that God is on your side, on your side too. Uh, so let me begin here doing some reading in this 23rd chapter. The text that was assigned to me begins here at verse 12 and goes through the end of the end of the chapter. So let me read this to you. And when it was day, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. And there were more than 40 which had made this conspiracy. And they came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great curse that we will eat nothing until we have slain Paul. Now therefore ye with the council signify to the chief captain that he bring him down unto you tomorrow as though ye would inquire something more perfectly concerning him and we Whenever he come near, are ready to kill him. When Paul's sister's son heard of their lying in wait, he went and entered into the castle and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions unto him and said, Bring this young man unto the chief captain. For he hath a certain thing to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the chief captain and said, Paul the prisoner called me unto him and prayed me to bring this young man unto thee who hath something to say unto thee. Then the chief captain took him by the hand and went with him aside privately. And asked him, what is that thou hast to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou wouldst bring down Paul tomorrow into the council. As though they would inquire something of him more perfectly. But do not thou yield unto them for there lie in wait for him more than forty men which have bound themselves with an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. Ready. Looking for a promise from thee. So the chief captain then let the young man depart and charged him, tell no one that thou hast showed these things to me. And he called unto him two centurions, saying, 
make ready 200 soldiers to go to Caesarea, and horsemen, threescore, and ten, and spearmen, two hundred, and at the third hour of the night, and provide them beasts that they may set Paul on, and bring him safe unto Felix, the governor. And he wrote a letter in this manner. Claudius Lucius, unto the most excellent governor Felix, greeting. This man was taken of the Jews and should have been killed of them. Uh, then I came I with an army and rescued him, having understood that he was a Roman. And when I would have known the cause whereof they accused him, I brought him forth into their council whom I perceive to be accused of questions of their law, but to have nothing laid to his charge worthy of death or bonds. And when it was told me how that the Jews laid wait for the man, I sent straightway to thee and gave commandment to his accusers also to say before thee what they had against him. Farewell. Then the soldiers, as it was commanded them, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. On the morrow they left the horsemen to go with him and returned to the castle. Who, when they came to Caesarea, and delivered the epistle to the governor, presented Paul before him. And when the governor had read the letter, he asked what province he was. And he understood that he was of Cilicia. I will hear thee, he said, when thine accusers are also come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's judgment hall. And there ends the reading of the 23rd chapter of the book of Acts, describing how it was that St. Paul was taken down to Caesarea. There, to go before the Roman governor, Felix. Who put him under guard and kept him there for two years' time. Later on, he would go before Felix's replacement, a fellow named Festus. But that's ahead of the story. We're back here with Felix. Felix was a, a, uh, well, he, he, he was a slave, born a slave. He rose through Roman government like a rocket. He had good connections. His brother was a powerful civil servant in Rome and actually would save Felix's hide later on because Felix never could work out this problem of squabbling within the Hebrew tradition. 
they were always fighting with the Gentiles over something. And Felix couldn't stay out of it, got into it, and got in trouble. But that's his story. We want to talk about Paul. We want to see what happened to him. You know, this life of this man, who is such a force in the New Testament, emerges quickly here in the book of Acts. You remember Paul was, he was there in, in, at the stoning of Stephen, holding the coats. He was converted on his way to Damascus, on the road to Damascus. At that point, their two traditions went off in separate ways. If you look at Galatians, you'll discover that he, he went away into Arabia for 14 years. And then it's explicitly spelled out there that he did that. But we don't have that account in the book of Acts here. <clears throat> the book of Acts rushes on with his life a little more quickly. But Paul has three missionary journeys, and we're at the conclusion of the, the third one. And we find him having landed at Caesarea, come across the 30, 40 miles upward, climb to Jerusalem, bringing an offering, a rather probably a rather substantial offering, to the Jewish Christian church, the mother church, of uh, there in Jerusalem. He comes with several others with him. His reception is, is, is not good. It's not good. The tendency to disagree between these two groups is powerful. Paul believes that you're saved basically by your faith in Jesus. You don't need one of the great things that Judaism starts with and stands on is circumcision. He could not take that to his Gentile Greek churches. The Apostle Paul was different. And in most religious communities, if you're different, if you have different thoughts, you're going to have nothing but trouble. And he had nothing but trouble, not only with the Jewish Christian church, if you will, but also the Jews themselves. So what happens is he is... What what we have today, we have him now here in Jerusalem. We're going to get him out of Jerusalem, and we're going to get him down to Caesarea, where he's going to be for these years, waiting for his trial, because he has appealed on the basis of the fact that he is a Roman citizen from Tarsus, one of the major cities in the Middle East at the time, in Turkey. He has said that that is what it is that he is, is a Roman citizen. What it does to Roman legionnaires is it stops them in their tracks because they are under a different set of laws than ordinary people at the time. A citizen had many benefits that the Jews just did not have. 
And so he is when he when he declares that he's a Roman citizen, a centurion overhears him and tells the tribune. Now that's that's the guy there that is in charge of the what I want to call the uh, the uh, the home guard of, of Jerusalem. See, Romans didn't have a big army there. They just had a small battalion, we would call it that. They they were about a thousand men there in different parts of the city. They, they were there. They didn't really. They just were symbols of control, mostly. They had a separate law. They would crucify you and do things of this nature. But at the same time, they let the Hebrew do what it was they wanted to do, for the most part. If they had a capital crime, if they had something like that to, to happen, they'd have to come to the Roman authorities and get it taken care of. And so this uh, business of Paul and his beliefs in this Jesus that uh, Christ figure, the Messiah, all of this stuff was outside of the Old Testament. Way, 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 way outside. And he was he, he was aggravating to the powers that be in that particular Jewish community, enough so that 40 men, probably young men, decided that they would make a oath and then kill Paul on the basis of that oath. The interesting word there that is used is the, that they anathematized Paul. That is, they say he's an anathema. An anathema is a Greek word that symbolizes something that's just so bad, you can't even say it. You know, we've got words today, we've come up with words, and we have decided that these words are so bad, you don't even let the word out your mouth. You'll use the first letter of the word, to designate the word that the culture has anathematized. You, you follow me now? Now you're with me. Because you, you've been, you've probably been, been acquainted with that. Uh, when I was a little boy, my daddy taught me how to cuss before I could walk. I mean, uh, as a little boy, <laughs> I had a habit of sucking my thumb and they wanted to break me of the habit, but Every time they took the thumb out of my mouth, the curse words would follow. So, so they'd rather have the thumb than the, than the curse word. But my daddy was a, was a merchant seaman. And he, he'd been raised in a very religious home, but when he went to sea for a few years, he learned how to curse and came home, taught it to me. And, uh, uh, when you curse something, in our culture, we don't really mean it half the time. Stuff we say that we use as bad words, we don't really, we don't really mean what we say. But the Hebrew meant what they said. If they anathematized Paul, they couldn't even say Paul. They'd say the P word. We just cannot 
so they were going to kill him. They thought it was doing God a big favor if they did. Now, be careful what you anathematize, uh, because God loves you and listens to your every word. So if you anathematize something, it, it, it uh, first of all, it, it, it's ungodly. Because all judgment is left to the Lord. I mean, you've got to leave it to the Lord. And, uh, anyway, that's enough of that. But they did form this group of young men. This was a, they plotted together to anathematize and kill Paul. It rather sounds to me, you remember last time I talked with you, we talked a little bit about drama. It reminds me a little bit of, uh, of, of uh, Caesar, when Caesar was killed and Julius Caesar, 60 men came against him in a, in a covenant and, and anathematized him so that it strikes me as rather, rather similar, same sort of process. And they came to him and were in the process of getting the council to come up with an ingenious trap. These 40 men told the council, said to them, please get them to bring him down tomorrow. You'll see that in that 15th verse. It says there, now therefore ye with the council signify to the chief captain that he be brought down tomorrow and we will inquire something more perfectly of him. See, they want to bring him back before the council. And they knew his path. They knew his trail to get to that council and everything. And we, he says, when he come near, we'll be ready to kill him. Take him. Now, somehow or another, Paul's sister, son, heard about it. It was his nephew. Here we got a strange thing going on because we never heard of relatives of, of Paul until we get along by here. And all of a sudden a sister emerges. We don't know her name. We don't know how old she was. We knew oh, that his, she had a had a son. So there's enough age for that. And, this, and the boy was his nephew and obviously loved Paul to even get mixed up and get anywhere close to it. But he went and told Paul. He said, look, now you got a whole bunch of men after you, and they're going to try to take you to the council tomorrow, and they're going to they're trap you and kill you down there. Well, I just want you to know that we ought to try to do something, but what do you think we ought to do? And Paul, there, called one of the centurions to him, and, and you know that we just read, he said, Bring this young man, his nephew, to the chief captain, that Claudius Lucius, and tell him about this. So, the centurion who was guarding Paul, see, respecting that Roman citizen, said, Paul the prisoner called me unto him and prayed me to bring this young man to you. And he has something to say to you. Now, Claudius Lucius does goes out of his way here. Takes this young man by the hand, uh, communicating that he wants to listen, communicating warmth. 
and went with him aside privately so that nobody would overhear him. We showed respect. And he asked him, said, well, what do you want to tell me? And the nephew said, that they've agreed that to bring Paul down tomorrow again, like they're going to ask him some questions. And uh, that's a trap. But don't don't do what they say, uh, sir. For there's forty men there have bound themselves with an oath that they are fasting, and they they're gonna kill him. And now they're ready, and they're looking for this word from you that you're gonna send him down in the morning, and they're gonna be there waiting. Now Claudius Lucius, the chief captain. Let the young man go. He just let him depart and charge him not to tell anybody anything. And this young nephew steps off the stage. But I want to stop just a moment and remark on this because uh, I don't know about you, but some I have nephews and nieces that are very, very special to me. Very special to me. And I, it Paul was evidently very, very special to this nephew. And I just want in passing to to encourage you because you are Christian. Many times our, our relationships in our families are stretched and hurtful and painful. But sometimes you'll have a nephew or a niece that you know and they know Love you very much. Well, do not neglect neglect them in kindness. Do not neglect them in instruction and love, just as you would if they were your own child. So we want to say that in past. It's close, close nephews, close nieces. The word of God is speaking, has always spoken right here along this along this path. So Claudius Lucius is going to beat him to the bunch. He's going to take him. He's going to go and take that Paul and with a Roman uh, Italian, he's going to send him on down to Caesarea. Takes off in the, at 9 o'clock at night, third hour of the night, 9 o'clock at night. And it's a crowd. It's a, it's a, you've got two centurions with 100 men each. You've got Horses, you got, and they've they've saddled up Paul, and uh, Claudius Lucius has picked the most dramatic moment to leave Jerusalem with this very very large for them detachment of men to go to Caesarea, and it must have been something to see. Uh, he had a strong guard on him, uh, riding along through the dark streets and made a lot of fuss, jingling and jangling. Uh, and it says to the pop general populace looking on, because nine o'clock, they ain't gone to bed yet. He's not hiding this thing from anybody. In fact, he's doing it for a dramatic effect. And they're looking at him. 
looking at Paul and said, and what they might be saying to themselves is, maybe we ought to think again about this new religion. What is it that's so profound about it that has got all these muscle men involved in this escort duty going down to this Caesarea to take this Roman citizen down to Felix? It's a very impressive thing. It's one of the most uh, neglected parts of this, this particular scripture is this passage by night. Uh, in fact, this thing is broken into two parts. The plot against Paul and the travel uh, to Caesarea, Caesarea by night. Uh, armies sometimes come through at night time. Not anymore too much, but in the Civil War, Armies would pass through little towns at nighttime and uh, on a march. Very, very profound thing. If you read much about Civil War history, every little town that an army passed through remembers it. Rem- remembers it. They go outdoors, they watch them, they look at them, go through. So this was a movement. Claudius Lucius sent a letter to Felix commending Paul and how he was captured, caught, important because of their laws. Uh, Claudius Lucius makes it makes the point that who knows what law he's broken. The man could have eaten barbecue, for all I know. I mean, the, the Jews don't even allow the eating of good, good pork. I mean, what kind of a law is that? Well, he might have broken that law. But the fact is, he's done something wrong. I have a good friend who's an minister, and he was walking through the sanctuary one day, and he happened to be whistling Amazing Grace, walking along, just, just whistling, happy, happy. He didn't see an, a lady sitting in there praying. Anyway, he kicked it upstairs to the pastor Parish relations committee and uh, brought formal charges on him to church, or formal as they could make it, and said, what did, he, what did he do wrong, for goodness sake? And she said, he was heard whistling in the sanctuary. <laughs> what a law. It's bad as not, not eating barbecue. But the, the fact is that these questions of the law had nothing, nothing isn't worthy of death and isn't worthy of jail. But we're going to send him to you, Felix, because he's a Roman citizen and has asked that of you. They stopped halfway at a little place called Antipatris, and uh, that uh, means for forefather, for Herod. And they put him in lockdown waiting for the lawyers because uh, you couldn't do nothing in Rome then. And then they couldn't, like now, unless you call a lawyer, and the lawyers weren't there, and they were arranged, and the Jews sent their lawyer down, telling Tertullian, Tertullius, not Tertullian, he's the Christian, but Tertullius, and he sent him there, and he was a hotshot lawyer for the for the case which was going to come up. Uh, the Cochrane firm, they got the best they could find to go down and beat him up. And so now we're going to hear next of time of the, as we go on in the book of Acts with the discussion of it, we're going to be hearing, uh, 
about Festus, what he did. Let me mention a few things, and then I'll quit. Let me say, we've done the same thing about just plotting to kill somebody. We did it in World War II. We sent 18 P-38 aircraft flying 50 feet over the water in the Solomon Islands with one end in mind, shoot down and killed the general admiral of the Japanese Navy that had attacked Pearl Harbor, Admiral Yamamoto. And despite all possibilities for it to fail, it was successful. We got him. Got him. But we've done it too. So now we'll be talking about how good we had a, a plot against that, a plot against Paul. We had a plot against Yamamoto. He didn't get Paul, but we got Yamamoto. Well, two little tools I want to tell you about today. A couple of them. One is in your computer, the Bible Gateway. Many of you know about this already. But you might want to jot that down. Bible Gateway will get you to more wonderful versions of the Bible, more wonderful commentaries than anything I know to use. Uh, you can use another online source called The Text This Week. The Text This Week. Not so much for The Text This Week, but for the many, many study tools that they have associated with various texts. You'll find that to be helpful. And I'm just about just about out of time here. But remember, there was a lynch mob after him. A lynch mob. And it was because they didn't trust the legal authorities to administer stern enough punishment to suit them. That's why they were going to take matters into their own hands. And it was bad. Shouldn't have done it. Didn't work out. But it's to please Paul on his way to Rome. Where he decides he must go to preach the gospel. And I must go too. But boy, have I enjoyed being with you today. And I'm looking forward to another time when I can get back to you again. God bless you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Through the wilderness into the promised land. In boundless love and mercy, he gave his only became the sacrifice for everyone. Oh, God's mercy so amazes me. Oh, God's mercy so amazes me. To every generation he gives the joy of his salvation. Oh, God's mercy so amazes me. As I watch the world around me, I can see his mighty hand delivering his people from the evil in this land. The wounded and the broken 